So it is so great to be here. Um, you have to bear with me a little bit because I have, I'm from Birmingham and half too many starts today. So I've done a full day's teaching, got on a train to be here. So I'm really excited, but tiredness levels are high. Anyway, we are going to jump straight into tonight looking at this whole theme of encounter through resilience. And I know you had Liz last night looking at encounter in the unseen. Steve this morning looking at encounter, how you encounter God's power. And tonight, we're going to look at encounter through resilience. So why don't you, we're just going to dive straight in. Grab your Bibles in front of you. Hopefully you've got those with you, because I know the temptation with your mobile Bibles, you know, quick, quick scroll through Instagram, you know, that group chat is popping off. Hopefully you've got a Bible with you to journey with us. So whilst you grab that, a little bit more about me. So yes, I am a secondary school teacher. I teach geography, which we all know is the best subject in the world. So just to see who we've got in the room, <laughs> some keen over there, um, a little show of hands. Who here's favourite subject at school is geography? Livestock, die of thirst. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with you, which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand before you at the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Then jumping on to part two, verse eight, a little bit of a twist in the tale here. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of the Lord in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses ordered, um, and uh, as Moses ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses had his hands held up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, and they put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. The Lord said to Moses, write this down on the scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the sun. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because his hands, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Yes, so Father God, I pray that you'd speak through these verses now that we would know that you are with us. You are encountering us right now and encouraging us. Just have a fresh revelation of who you are, that you are with us right now and at every moment, whatever we may face. Amen. Amen. Lovely. So there is a lot going on in this passage. Two main stories you can probably identify which tell of two main trials. So the first trial being a physical trial of the Israelites not having any water to drink, being in a desert, um, and also feeling abandoned and alone in this place. Then we have trial number two. Uh, this is one of being opposition, you know, feeling threatened by an army set on destroying them, the Amalekites. And it really would be understandable if you did not relate to being in a desert with no water and no prospects of this changing anytime soon or feeling abandoned alone because of that. Or you didn't relate to the fact there's an army like with a sword ready to, like, you know, after your blood, ready to destroy you. That'd be quite understandable. Here we are in London. However, I'm sure we do relate to there being times of feeling abandoned and alone ourselves, there being a physical need or suffering in our lives that we need changing. 
Or perhaps you relate to the fact that there's opposition against you, that of your friends, your family, your mind, this world. Or perhaps even a place when I felt alone and saw no solution. So 17-year-old Becky was thriving. She was loving her little social life, having just started a new sick form and, you know, doing okay there. Okay, academically, things are going all right. I was playing pretty high-level hockey. Um, you know, loving the freedom of the world, being my oyster, having just passed my driving test. However, you know, Becky, me, I had my world shaken. A major hip problem, so nine months off school, nine months off school, chronic, chronic pain, suddenly being unable to walk or wait there or do anything alone. 12 operations, what felt like a million doctor's appointments with some very potentially scary diagnoses on the horizon. And yet, in this place, I had a choice to make about whether I was going to stand or run and give up. And there was one specific moment in this time, um, in the midst of this context of ill health. One night, like a, not a like, like a lot of nights, where I could not sleep because of such severe pain, which medication could not touch, doctors could not seem to solve. And I would just lie there awake in such pain. You know, my mum would come in and lie next to me as I literally cried out in agony. And in this place, I felt the darkest, most hopeless place of, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? What's going to happen here? And mum was brilliant in these times. You know, she'd lie with me as I cried out. Yeah, in reality, she was pretty powerless. You know, she couldn't fix my problem. And when we were there, you know, we'd listen to this song in the early hours a cover of a Bethel music song called Closer. And the lyrics just spoke so powerfully into that space. The lyrics are, so pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. For your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I want to know your heart. How great your love is for me. How great your love is for me. Now, there is absolutely nothing magical about those lyrics or the quality of the musicianship. In fact, this cover was pretty budget. However, the truth of these lyrics spoke so powerfully of the fact that, so powerfully as they sung over me in those moments. It felt like hope entered my room. It felt like peace entered the room, light entered the room, and I did not feel so alone and abandoned. The least lyrics, they point to me of the truth who God, of who God was and is and always would be that he is faithful in the midst of challenging times. And this gentle encounter with the Lord in this kind of quite hidden place, it changed everything. It changed everything in those moments because an encounter with the Lord changes everything. You know, so often we think of encounters of these big mountaintop movement, uh, moments of lightning bolt from the sky, um, you know, with drastic healings, massive breakthroughs, or even uncontrollable tears at the front of the church. And yet it can look like these, and these are wonderful and precious moments, but more often than not, it is something more, something more powerful, more deep, and much more intimate presence. He knows everything about me, my weaknesses, my brokenness and sinfulness, and still he loves me intimately. His presence is healing, strengthening, and refreshing, just being in his presence. I'm going to read that again. In his presence, sorry, his presence is so immense, yet so humble, awe-inspiring, yet so gentle, Limitless, yet so intimate, tender and personal. In his presence, I know that I am known. 
Everything in my life is transparent in his presence. I am, every, he knows everything about me, all my weaknesses, brokenness and sinfulness, and still he loves me intimately. His presence is healing, strengthening and refreshing, just being in his presence. It's just such a beautiful description of this encounter, not something to be reserved for a moment at a big conference like this or even just for church, but it's something more from the unseen, hidden from the world, everyday unglamorous space of our hidden times of of devotion to and time with the Lord. So where we're going to go for the rest of our time together, we are going to look at what habits and disciplines can we put in place in our everyday so we can experience those moments of encounter of God coming into our midst and changing everything and giving us resilience and staying power to stand up against whatever challenges we might face. So three points from Moses in Exodus 17. Let's go strap yourselves in. Daily discipline number one of prayer and worship. Discipline number one, prayer and worship. We pray to God because it is good, because it is powerful and because he commands us to. You know, 447 times in the Bible does it tell us to praise him. That means it's more than a daily pursuit. How often do you, in your quiet of your heart, in the moments by yourself, do you praise God? Do you worship him? Do you cry out to him? Or is this something just reserved for church? 1 Chronicles 16 verse 23 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Deuteronomy 10 Um, verse 21 says he is the one you praise he is your God who performed for you these great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes you know a powerful yet often skip part part of prayer and worship is to pause to reflect and to be reminded of God's faithfulness both in our own lives but to those around us and the stories we read of in the Bible and worship is a really helpful tool to help us do this so many of the Christian songs we sing, that you know, those who sing in church, the ones we find out there, and also the ones in the Bible, in the songbook of the Bible, the Psalms, they are thankfulness-centric, and that is for good reason. The Israelites in Exodus 17 were so consumed with their reality of needing water, you know, feeling abandoned and alone, that they had forgotten who God was and is by night. Quite, you know, imagine that trying to get from A to B across London rather than using city maps, being like, oh, there's the pillar, I guess I'm going this way. You know, it's really drastic, huge sight for them to see. However, the Israelites had stopped looking up and recognizing that God was before them, with them, and all around them. How often do we stop to look up and see Jesus who is with us and be reminded of him? You know, the ultimate example of resilience in the face of trials, you know, temptation, troubles, uh, isolation and oppression. How often do we stop to be reminded and look to him? Psalm 121 verse 1 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You know, when we pause... And praise God for who he is, that he is good, he is kind, he is faithful. I just don't think we can stop, but stop looking up and navel-gazing at our situation and look up and be reminded who, who God is. And we see God. We get a fresh revelation of who he is with us. The Lord reigning above it all. Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that we might not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that we might not grow weary and lose heart. We need to lift our eyes to Jesus in order to encounter that gentle assurance and revelation that we can stand firm and remain resilient. And and worship is a really powerful tool to do that. You know, the second thing that happens when we pray and worship is that our spirits are encouraged. You know, when I see my friend over there in a congregational setting, you know, my friend over there who's praising God, I know now they're getting heartbreak, but still declaring God's goodness. Or my friend over there who is grieving the loss of their precious mum, yet still saying that God is good, that he is kind, that he is love. My, my soul is so encouraged and spurred on. We need to do this together. The third thing that happens when we praise and worship God is that God's spirit moves. You know, I loved hearing that story earlier during a time of worship of God's spirit moving and healing. You know, that is part of my story too. So part two of about 10, you can ask me if parts eight later if you want to, is where I saw God move mightily in a time of worship to heal. So in the midst of that context of ill health I told you about earlier, um, You know, I was navigating, having had a few operations at this point, seeing every specialist under the sun. And I'd just been waiting months and months to see this one expert, some top doctor in Oxford, to go have an appointment with him. I went in. He could do nothing for me. Safe to say, disappointment levels incredibly high, uh, hope incredibly low. Now, in that place, my friend Amy came over and she was like, hey, worthy. And then I stood up. I'm a wheelchair for the first time in months, being able to run, walk, dance around, totally pain-free. Safe to say that I, my friends, my doctors and family were totally amazed and could not find any kind of medical explanation. This actually quite hidden, quiet prayer from my heart, and you know, it's cry out to God. So an encounter with God change everything. So worship is powerful. Because it not only blesses us, but those around us too. You know, we see this time and time again in the Bible. And this has been something I've been quite convicted to do for my, for my students in my classroom. Because I am so aware for teenagers today, there is such, such a pressure on, you know, peace. Like there's no peace. There's so many voices, so many ideas that, you know, it's actually so much harder than I feel it was for me. Because obviously being a teenager was a long time ago for me. <laughs> um, and so I've been, that's something I've been doing once my students have gone home, you know, praying and worshipping over my classroom, which I teach in all day, you know, walking around, praying over specific chairs. This room will be a room of peace. And that's what I've seen happen. I've had so many remarks since then for students who come in and just, oh, Miss McKeamy, it's just such a good vibe in here. It's so peaceful. I just, and just going on and on like that. And honestly, that is God's spirit encountering them. I don't quite know it yet, but it's just moving powerfully. And I just praise God so much for that. So discipline number one, prayer and worship. The second thing we're going to put in place, our second discipline is getting into God's living word, okay? Matthew 4, verse, um, in Matthew 4, Jesus said, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from his mouth. In other words, where are these words stored? In the Bible. We need to get into this living word. So bear with me, let's take a little bit of a detour. Um, I'd like you guys to think about Canadian maple trees. Um, you probably know them from producing the sugary goodness you pour all over your pancakes. Pancake days on Tuesday, so get ready. Also for the leaves of which we find on um, the Canadian flag. 
But what I find interesting about these trees that grow about 40 meters high, so similar height to that of, um, I don't want to say a big house, um, is that their, their roots are incredibly shallow, okay? So they only go about 60 centimeters deep into the ground. And I'm going to say a 30 centimeter root is that big. So maybe that big for a tree that is big as a house. That's not very impressive. So when storms come, they are the first trees to fall. You might say they are not very resilient. And I'd like to compare these with another type of tree. Uh, these are found in the Kalahari Desert, which is in the southern region of the continent of Africa. And, um, you know, they only grow about 10 meters high, um, but often a bit smaller than that. And they aren't the most impressive tree to look at. However, we will give them a break as they literally do live in a desert. Um, but they have very interesting, very different root network, which goes about 70 meters deep into the ground. And I was trying to like gauge how big is 70 meters. Um, and that is actually nearly the height of Big Ben. I did some research about the height of this room, roughly about four times the size of this room. That's how deep they're going into the ground, okay? So when storms come, spiritual, emotional thirst, we wanna know, you know, of that of our value, identity, our purpose. And how quick are we to fill that and drink deeply from that of success? Running after, you know, popularity, great exam results, great careers, um, a marriage, a relationship, or, you know, recognition. And just to say, in and all of these things, they're all in and of themselves, they're, they're not bad things. However, they are problematic when they distract us and become idols that get in the way from us drinking deep daily in this living word. You fill in the blank of what that is to you. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Are you being well watered? And some of you guys might be thinking, okay, that's lovely, you know, I'm not feeling massive trials right now. Well, hey, start now. Get these routines and rhythms in place that when, when hardships do come, you are ready. So let's be people who lean into him, be unafraid of getting up early to do this stuff. And discipline number three, a bit of a quick one, we're all right. It says, hey, you know, we're not meant to do this stuff alone. We're not meant to do this stuff alone. In Exodus 17, this whole thing of encountering God and being resilient and standing firm in the face of battles and trials, um, it is so important to do this with people. So Birmingham has been my home for two years now, and I love it. It has a bit of a bad rep, but it is a fantastic city. Um, and I realised, though, a, couple of, a little while ago, um, that I just did not have those people in this new context who really were, you know praying with me, doing the stuff, as John Bimber would say, with me, you know, seeking the Lord actively together. Now, don't get me wrong. I did have great friends. I did was going to a small group where we'd chat about Jesus for hours on end and chat about our passions and what we were about. But were we doing the stuff? Were we intentionally, vulnerably, and very really going deep with the Lord together? And, you know, in my pondering, I got to the point of, should I relocate? Should I move to some of the cities and uh, to be near some of those friends before in different contexts? You know, having moved around quite a lot in my 20s for jobs and university and everything. Should I relocate and be with them so I can have that, you know, really important thing? But when I took this to the Lord, I just sent him say, hey, Becky, you need to lead this. <sighs> okay. Um, so I had a little look around to see who was about around me. And I saw my housemate, Alex. Um, you know, again, someone who we could chat and put the world to right for hours on end and chat about Jesus so much. 
And I just had to like pluck up the courage. I just felt really awkward to ask. I was like, Alex, you know, can, can we do this? Can we start really praying and really getting into our word together? So that's what we've done. Our Tuesday nights have become such precious time for us um, where we do this stuff. But I've got to be real. When the mundane, harsh look around today, you know, some of the people you've got to know here in your fours and fives, could they be those people who you could perhaps arrange to do, have that intentional chat and, you know, FaceTime regularly, grab a coffee regularly and, you know, do the stuff with, pray and seek the Lord together so that we can not be alone in this, but be resilient. Who are those people for you? Who are those people? Who are those people like Aaron and her who are helping Moses lift his hands in this posture of prayer and worship to see the battles the Israelites are facing won? Who are they? Who are they for you? So point number three, we aren't going to do this stuff alone. So we're just going to come into land here. Those three disciplines we're going to use to remain resilient and counter God in and through the challenges that we will face Oh, to, number one, pray and worship. You know, not, don't take that lightly, but really run after God in that space. Discipline number two, we're going to get into our living words, living, speaking, moving word today. And discipline number three, you're not going to do this alone. Who are the people you're doing this with? Brilliant. So why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? I know we've been sitting for a while. I can feel, watch the aches and groans as we get up. But why don't we grab some space as well? And we're just going to welcome God into this space. All right, let's get jump, jump, jump to our feet. There's lots of space. So we're just going to pray. Oh, Father God, thank you that you are here with us. That you are always with us. You are the God who was and is and always will be faithful to us. In the midst of whatever comes, that feeling alone that of having physical needs, or that of, you know, feeling opposition. Thank you that you are always with us, Jesus. And we just say, come, Holy Spirit. Would you come and speak in this moment? Yeah, Father God, we just wait on you tonight. Come, Lord. Jesus. You know, I might open up your hands just as a posture to say, Lord, I'm here and I'm hungry and I want to know you with me right here. Not because there's anything magical about that, but just to say, Lord, come and move. And I've got really got a sense that some people in the room, you know, you might be, you know, really facing that trial right now, that hardship, that challenge. But God just wants to say, I see you and I care for you so intimately. Yeah, Father God, would you speak? Would you breathe life? Would you give us fresh revelation? If you are the God who is reigning Lord above it all. Yeah, come Jesus. Come Jesus.